So it was 35 years ago plus that I graduated from CIU. So, and they had an ambassador choir then, of which I was not qualified to uh, sing in, as you all well know. But so, great to have you all here this morning. Would you take your Bibles, please, and uh, stand up with me? Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 6. We have been in Ephesians 6 for all of 2022 so far, and we are nearing the end, but I want us to to see the big picture as we close out this section that we've called Stand. The year began with verse 10 of Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And for a specific reason. And that reason is given to us in verse 12. Why do we need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? Because it says, verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if you would look up here for a moment. The text is simply said to us. You, as a child of God, have an enemy who hates you. And he lies to deceive you, to tempt you, and to accuse you in order to render you useless and fruitless as a child of God, to destroy your marriage and to wreck your family. And if we lose sight of that, we will not stand. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might because we're at war. We don't see it, but it's real. We have an enemy, and you felt it. The breath of the one who wants to ruin your life. So what do we do? What's it say in next verse? Verse 13, look back at your scriptures. So what do we do? It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, not to be knocked down, not to be knocked out by a lying enemy. And so then he goes through the armor of God. But it's not only the armor of God by which we stand firm. Drop down in your Bible to verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So I've been asked regularly, is prayer part of the armor of God? Not technically, but it is certainly how we fight. Because prayer is the invitation for you as a child of God to say, God, I have an enemy who wants to destroy me, to render me useless and fruitless. I need your help. And we will pray to the degree we believe this. God works in response to your prayer. You believe that? God works in response to our prayer. So pray all the time with perseverance for all the saints. But now there's one more aspect by which we stand. Drop to verse 21, and this is the text that we're going to consider this morning, verses 21 and 22. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. 
I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. The simple truth from this text, not not prescribed to us as most of the rest of the letter, but described to us by this relationship he has with a man, Tychicus, that we stand together. We stand in the full armor of God. We stand crying out to God for help. And this is why we're standing right now. If we're going to stand against an enemy who wants to destroy you, you cannot get isolated. We must stand together. So bow with me and let's ask the Lord to teach us to stand together. Lord, thanks for armor that allows us to live according to the strength of your might. That the spirit of God within us enables us to be free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God in us allows us to be instruments for more people finding more life in Jesus. Thanks for the gift of prayer to cry out to you. To believe and to ask and to trust and to praise. And now, Lord, thanks for one another. Thanks for the gift of community. And I pray that you would meet with us by your spirit. Teach us that we might have one another's backs. That we might encourage one another, spur one another on, protect one another, love one another. That we would be the body of Christ as you intended us to be in relationship. We know our enemy wants to isolate, to destroy Would we stand together in the power of the Spirit? Teach us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you can have a seat, and let's look together at this text. At the center of this text is a guy named Tychicus. You may think, I don't know, is that really the way you're supposed to say his name? I don't know. Uh, I know this. People call me Rut, and that's not my name. My name is Rut. But nobody can say rut. They all say rut. So my brother-in-law came up with put soot on rut's foot. And people still can't say it. So am I saying it wrong? Maybe. But it'll be okay. That's what we're going to call him. Tychicus. And he is, shows up in the New Testament five different places. Acts, Colossians, Ephesians, Titus, and 2 Timothy. From those five references in the New Testament, we discover these things about Tychicus. He is a traveling partner with Paul, and he is a messenger for Paul. And Paul describes him as his traveling partner and as his messenger in these three ways. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. And I don't want us to run by that too quickly. First, let's acknowledge the Lord used Paul in uniquely powerful, significant ways. Uh, In some ways, like no other man he's ever used. But don't miss the fact that Paul was not a lone ranger. Paul did not function by himself. Paul had the gift of brothers who traveled with him, who he considered beloved, dear, who were faithful ministers, who were fellow servants with him. And when I imagine, as we'll see, he gets this letter sent by Paul 
Tychicus takes it to the church there in Ephesus. And imagine if he stands up and has the privilege of reading this. When he gets to this part, how meaningful it would be for, for Tychicus to go, oh my, this is almost embarrassing to read. But this is how Paul feels about me. Beloved, dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, he sees me as one with him standing together. And so I want to ask you this. Who has been a Tychicus for you? Because you have not arrived where you are in your spiritual journey, wherever you are. You have not gotten there alone. God has graciously put other people in your life to spur you on, to love you, to be a faithful friend, a beloved brother. And so when you came in, you had an opportunity to take a simple card that says thank you. The, the O and the, the U is the fingerprint because it's simply this. God, by his grace, has allowed other people's fingerprints to be on your life. The fingerprints of Tychicus were on Paul's life. And he, he took a moment and wrote about it. And that's all I'm encouraging you to do with this note. Who has God graciously blessed you with in your life that has been a faithful friend, a beloved brother, someone who has walked the journey with you, has comforted you like Tychicus was a comfort to Paul, who walked through the hard and the fun with you. Take a moment, write it down. And give them the joy that Tychicus got when he read the closing verses in Ephesians and was reminded, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a brother to walk alongside the apostle Paul. So I hope you'll take a minute and share that with them. So the example is Tychicus and Paul. But I think this text, again, not by prescription, but by description, in other words, not by command, but by example, it's a powerful truth for us in terms of how we stand together, how we win against an enemy who wants to destroy us. And it simply demonstrates this, that as Paul speaks about the role of Tychicus in his life, it's the reminder that you and I were made for relational community. God has, to, in our fabric, made us to be in relationship with one another. Not just relationship with him. God has made you to be in relationship with him. But he's made you to be in relationship with others. Isolation is contrary to our nature of bearers of God's image. Don't miss that. See, it's not just, oh, it's nice to have friends. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. You at your core, because of the fabric and the way that God has made you as a human, you were intended to have community with other people. And you can send me a nasty email about this one because I know this will, maybe this is unnecessary. But that goes beyond your pet. 
I'm sure you love your dog. That's awesome. But God has something deeper for you than that. You are barking up the wrong tree. If you think, oh, but that was, this is just stupid. Just stupid. All right. Now, nothing against pets, obviously. But you were made for a relationship with one another. And God made you, well, straight out of the mouth of our creator. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us, our image, our likeness. In other words, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they reflected relationship with one another. And when you were made like him, you were made for relationship, to live in plurality and unity together. And so, this pandemic that we are, it would seem finally coming out the other side, I think reminded folks, wow, you know, you don't appreciate something till you lose it. And it was joyful to watch folks systematically come back and having appreciated the live stream, having appreciated the fact that, that we still could, to the best that we could, stay together. But folks come in and then say afterwards, I just wept through the worship time because I had forgotten how sweet it was to worship together, to be together with the people of God. That's just not a luxury. That's core to who you were made to be in the image of God. So with that demonstrated in the text, what does it tell us, what does this text teach us about cultivating relational community? Go back to verse 21, if it's there, open to you. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Is there a difference there? Is there a difference between, here? here's what's going on in my life, and here's how I am doing? Those are two dramatically different questions. You can tell me what's going on, but the deeper question is, yeah, how are you doing? And Paul says, I want you to know what's going on, and I want you to know how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. You want to know, and I am willing to make myself known. That's it. Relational community requires a desire, first of all, a desire to know. Do you desire to know what's going on in other people's life? Do you desire to know? Uh, beyond their circumstances, do you desire to know, okay, how are you doing? You can't have relationship apart from a desire to know, but you also can't have relationship with apart, apart from a willingness to be known. And, and what Paul's simply saying here is, I want you to know, and I'm willing to be known. It's a two-way street. Relationship requires both. And sometimes we can look at this, oh, a desire to know, that's the more godly, ex that's the more godly desire. I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. Ask yourself times, if you want to know because in wanting to know, you can protect yourself from being known. Because that can work. A strategy for not having to reveal yourself is to just always be interested in others. And that looks really godly, except it doesn't build relationship. It takes a willingness, I want to know what's going on in your life and how you're doing, and I 
am willing to disclose what's going on in my life and what's stirring in this heart. Only then can we be known. So ask yourself, am I more willing to want to know what's going on or am I willing to be known? One of those is probably harder for each of you here. And only you can know your own heart. We had, um, when my youngest son was in middle school, we had a little boy in the neighborhood who was starting to come to our junior high programming on church family. And, and uh, he was a delightful young man who could talk nonstop about himself. And man, that boy could talk, talk, talk. He'd get in the, to truck to come to church and he'd be, yeah, 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 about himself. All that. And, and finally I was like, all right, this boy needs some training. So I decided, we got in the truck, and I said, all right, uh, here's the rule today. Between here and church, you can only talk if you ask a question to find out something about somebody else. I thought this was great training. Without missing a beat, he said, oh, okay, what do you all like about me? (laughs) He literally, I didn't make that up. I I almost ran off the road because I'm like... Wow, you are more consumed than I could have ever imagined. (laughs) He was ready. And so all of us are prone one way or another. We want to know, we want to know, we want to know, or know me, 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 me, me. Enough about you. Let's talk about me. And it doesn't build relationship. What happens What's health in a local church? What's health in the body of Christ? Knowing and, and what? Being known. A desire to know, a willingness to be known. That's what the text teaches us about what Paul is willing to do for those in Ephesus. All right, look at the beginning of verse 22 now. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us. So he goes back to that. I want you to know about us. And you may go, I don't really get it. What's the point in I have sent him to you? Uh, Here's the point. If you stop and ask yourself, what was involved in Paul sending Tychicus to the church in Ephesus, and you open up the back of your Bible, or you Google, and you go, "Uh, what would have that meant? That would have meant a thousand-mile journey. Okay? Did you hear that? I want you to know, and I want to be known, but that's going to take a 1,000-mile journey, and Delta is not in business yet. So what would that involve? 20 to 30 days from Tychicus to go from Rome with this news about how he's doing and what he is doing to Ephesus. Once I got myself into the text on that level, I was like, okay, that that cost is too high. (laughs) In other words, I would sacrifice relationship for efficiency. And that's a problem in me. Watch. My desire, and I don't know if this will be for you, but I recognize my desire for efficiency is on a head-in head-on collision for God's desire for community. Paul said, it's going to take you like a month and a real hassle to get there. 
community is worth it. You can't microwave it. We like to microwave everything. We want it fast. We want depth in a few minutes. This just doesn't work. It requires time and effort. That's what verse 22 teaches us. Knowing and being known is going to require effort and minutes. And so, if you, if you find yourself this morning going, I just don't feel like I'm known. Or I just feel like I don't know anybody. Ask yourself the very practical question that verse 22 emphasizes here. Where are the minutes and effort that you have invested in knowing and being known? It's why, church, I don't know if you're hearing, when Tracy, before we jump into the message, when whoever's hosting, if you will, says, we don't believe the body of Christ is intended to stop in gathering as a crowd. That we will only be the church as God intended the church to be when we take a next step and invest effort and minutes in knowing one another. The problem, and I'm going to say this pretty clearly, pretty strongly, the problem for the church in America as we look to the future is it's being boiled down to a large gathering in the dark. And that's not going to be the recipe for standing firm. We need one another. And we will not develop community in this room. We can start, but that's all it is, is a start. We have to be prepared to take a a next step. Whether it's a family group, whether it's a gathering around a study, a discipleship group, we're not going to be who God intended us to be as a church if we stop in simply the large worship service gathering. It's one of the reasons financially as well, that we said, we're not going to build a massive auditorium. We'd rather have two auditoriums this size as opposed to one big one that simply says, hey, the church is about a massive gathering. Now, I'm, I'm not saying big auditoriums are sin. That's not what I said. I said we can't be the church as long as we stay in a crowd. There has to be a next step toward a community. When I think of you students, CIU students, the minutes and effort that you put on this tour is going to build community among you that will last many, many years. It's work. It's hard. And it's not always going to be fun. You're going to start to bug one another. See? Yeah. Somebody's done with it. All right. No, you, you, you're going to be frustrated and you're going to drive too slow or you're going to drive too fast. Yeah, I'm picking on you. Yeah. And they're going to go, come on. And you'll be tired. And that's when community happens. When you travel together, when you share together, when you are known and made yourself known in effort and minutes. So is it worth it? 
I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you will know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. See, this isn't just checking a box. Oh, I'm supposed to be in a family group. Check. Oh, I'm supposed to be in a disciple group. Check. Now, there's something that happens in our lives that we can't get apart from this relational community. And he simply says, when I am willing to invest the minutes and the effort in knowing and being known, then what will happen is this. There will be a relationship where I begin, because I know you, not just what you're doing, but how you're doing, and I begin to care about that. And when I'm willing to make myself known, then you care about me. And what have we learned, church, about if we care about something, what do we do? What? Yeah. When we're willing to, when we care about something, then we will pray. I don't need to convince you to about convince you to pray about stuff you care about. You will pray about stuff that you care about. Where you don't want to pray is when you're forced to pray about something that you don't really care about. But if you care, you'll pray. And you won't care unless you are known and made yourself known and know others. So it starts with knowing and being known brings care, which brings prayer, which brings comfort. Now, now we are experiencing This is what 2 Corinthians says. Now we're experiencing God through one another. May the God of all comfort comfort you through one another. It's not this mysterious thing that happens just between you and the Lord. It's the Lord ministering to you through somebody who you were willing to make yourself known to and who desired to know you. Jesus said it very simply. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. It's a little counterintuitive. When you are mourning, when you're down, when the dark clouds roll in in your life, what's the last thing you want to do? Oh, I'm just not feeling so well tonight. I think I'm going to skip group. The last thing you want to do when you are feeling down is to be with people. I don't want to be like, ah, I just stay out here and me and the Lord are going to hang out. No, you're not. You're, you're, oh, you're not going to. <laughs> but to be willing to go and to go, life's hard right now. Dark clouds are rolling in. And I'm hurting is the pathway, Jesus said, to comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. So our uh, son, Tommy, youth pastor down in Fort Myers, married for a year or so, just found out that they were pregnant. But it's one of those moments of it's early on, do we tell and once you, if you've had kids, you kind of gone through that issue of, you know, how soon do you tell? And part of the fear of telling is what? Well, if something happens, if we lose the baby, then that's going to be hard. And we want to skip the hard by not telling the good. Except it really doesn't work that way. So they told the good news. And then almost immediately, she lost the baby. And I said, so Tom, 
Do you regret telling? He said, not at all. Because had we not told, then we would have shared in the joy only in ourselves, and then we're left to be grieving only to ourselves. See the biblical principle here, friends? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Desire to know. Be willing to be known. It's risky. It's risky. But it's the promised path of Jesus that those who mourn shall be comforted. God will meet you, and he meets us through one another. So you saw the progression, I hope. We were made for community. Community requires know and be known. To know and be known requires minutes and effort. But those minutes and effort are worth it because it produces care, prayer, and comfort. So those are the biblical principles in this text. I want to pause now and attach some practical wisdom for building community. In other words, all right, how do we take how we're made and work it out into real life? And this becomes the challenge for this simple reason. As finite people, we have limited capacity for relationship. This is where it gets a little fuzzy and hard. See, in an ideal world, I could just have closed and prayed and said, you know, y'all need to have a relationship and go for it because it's going to be awesome. But the problem is, when it comes to the church, we all have limited capacity for relationship. I don't have unlimited minutes, do you? And I don't have unlimited energy. So I'm made for relationship, but how do I as a finite person build community? And I think the answer is this, and I'll show it to you from the life of Jesus. The answer is varied levels of relationship are not only valid, they're necessary. Varied levels, and I'll show you in a moment here. Think of a funnel. Varied levels of relationship are valid and necessary. Why? Because we're finite people. See, just think of it in terms of the Godhead. God the Father, does he have any limitations? No. Can he know every single one of you fully and perfectly? Yes. Can he make himself known to you fully Completely, because of who he is. He doesn't have any limitations. He stands outside of time. He is the eternal one who knows all. So he doesn't have the limitations that you and I have. We're not God. And so we have to go, how do we build community? And we build community by recognizing there are some people I'm going to have greater community with than other people. Now, is that a is that a escape or is that actually real life? When I look at the life of Jesus and the relationships of Jesus, uh, I see this reality lived out. Because Jesus, was he God, yes or no? Yes, 100% God. Was he man? Yes. So he had to learn to live in relationship, in community with the finite limitations that you and I have. 
How did he do it? Well, we see this funnel of relationship. Jesus interacted with crowds. What you might think of a thousand more people. He interacted with them. He didn't hide from the crowds. He interacted with the crowds. But then he had a different level of relationship with his disciples. And by his disciples, I do not mean his apostles. That's a different level. The disciples, there were hundreds of disciples. There were 12 apostles. Now, are you, are you tracking with me? Just don't fill in a chart here. He had a relationship, very limited, but he engaged crowds. And then he engaged on a deeper level with his disciples. And then he engaged in an even deeper level with the 12. And within the 12, we see that he had his BFs, his best friends. Now, again, sometimes in the church, you can't have your best friends. Absolutely, you can. Jesus did. If I ask you, maybe you know the gospels well enough, who were Jesus' best friends off the top of your head? Peter, James, John, yeah. Well, why would we say he was best friends with them? Because he engaged them, included them in circumstances and insights into his heart that nobody else got to. Not fair. You think everybody ever thought that? You think any of the other disciples of the crowd went, not fair. Why do they get so many minutes? Now, seriously, this is what happens. If we don't get this, you're going to get mad at the church. Because this is a church. Everybody should know everybody equally. Hogwash cannot happen. Sorry, it can't. Jesus didn't know everybody equally, and not everybody knew Jesus equally. he, He even says that he told some stories, parables, so only some people would get it. Rude. (laughs) Not really. That wasn't rude. It was reflective of relationship. Never think it's more spiritual if you tell what you would tell your best friends to everybody. That's called lack of discretion. We shouldn't do that. I think I told you, Jackie and I are out to dinner with another couple. Waitress comes up, she tells her her name. What do you want to drink? We just take some waters. And then we probably, I don't know if we ask how she was doing or not. But she said, I'm not feeling that well tonight. She's not really what you want to hear about the health of your waitress. I'm not really feeling that well tonight. Oh, well, we're sorry. Well, actually, I have a bladder infection. Whoa, too much, too much. I have a drinking problem, really. Now, I'm not being silly or rude about this. That's important information, but not for the table that you are ordering dinner for. There's a lack of discretion. I need to have people in my life that I tell on one level that I don't tell the crowds. But watch. 
If I treat everybody as crowd, then I'll never be known and never have community. So there is level of relationship. Watch this now. Some of you feel most comfortable here. And others of you feel most comfortable here. In other words, some of you are like, oh man, I really enjoy being around a lot of other people. And the people down here who love the small group, you know what they think about these folks who just love this? Shallow, shallow people. Just don't want to go deep. You know what these people think about these people? Clicks. You just, yeah, just always just hanging. My point is this. We can easily look from one where we, we feel most comfortable and look at the other side and think down on. But Jesus said, now I'm going to engage here and I'm going to engage here. And I break this down to the church, CFC specifically. This is five services on the weekend in two different auditoriums. This is the service that you choose to regularly come to. Because you, once you regularly come, our auditorium is small enough. If you have your eyes up and a little interest, you can get to know some people a little bit. This is your small group, your family group. See, this is why you got to move from here to here. Because this is thousands and hundreds, and we go from hundreds down to 12. And then even within a small group, without playing favorites, without being rude, you can be tight with a few, with even within the small group. Jesus demonstrated that healthy community involves varied levels of relationship. And we may be more comfortable in one of these slots than we are in others, but it doesn't give us the freedom to ignore any of them. In other words, let me say it this way. These realities are not a reason to ignore strangers because sometimes as a church, we can be guilty of, oh man, it's just us. Those strangers, they can find somebody else to connect with. I got my friends. I got my group. It doesn't give me the freedom to ignore strangers, nor does it give me the freedom to avoid intimacy. Jesus dealt with relationship at every level because he lived within the limitations of humanity that you and I live with. And I want you to genuinely look at that and ask yourself, am I Jesus to crowds? Am I Jesus to groups? Am I like Jesus within a smaller community? And have I cultivated a heart-level relationship with a few? As Jesus said to those Peter, James, and John, my heart is breaking. Come pray with me. He didn't say that to the crowds. See, if we're going to have community, 
We can't avoid the stranger. God does not avoid the stranger. But we have to have authentic community where our heart, how we're really doing, can be made known. That's what we learn about the body of Christ through the living Lord Jesus. Except for one more thing. Here's two more realities in the life of Jesus. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. This is a different type of relationship, right? No crowd, no hundreds of disciples. The 12 are zonked still. His best friends, he didn't go, hey, hey, man, let's grab some early coffee. He left even his best friends sleeping, and he went out and met with who? His father, one-on-one. We find it in Luke 6 as well. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night not unpacking life with his friends. He spent the night just him and his father. So my point is simply this. The funnel of Jesus made complete in his relationships has a tip of the spear with it. And it's not a BFF, it's a BFFFF. What is that? His best friend, and father forever. And he lived that way. Don't miss that. There's a level of relationship that Jesus had with the father that extended beyond any other human relationship. Can I have your eyes for a moment? You cultivate that relationship first and foremost. See, some of you are like grooving this whole time. Community, man, yeah, man, I love my small group. I got my best friends. That is so awesome. But you have replaced relationship with the Father with relationship with your best friends. And you have unpacked with them things that you needed to unpack fully and completely with the Father. There is first and foremost a relationship with God. Now, You can do all this and avoid God. But if you cultivate your intimacy with the Father like Jesus did, it will thrust you towards community with others. You can live without that, but if you have this, you'll not live without that. That's the beauty of the life of Jesus relationally. First and foremost with the Father. So do you get any Consistent time where just you and God talk. You listen to him in the scriptures. You cry out to him. It's no accident that one of the most transformational years of my life was actually the year before I went to CIU. So I went to a torchbearer school out in Estes Park, Colorado. And I was on my own as an 18-year-old and I was being, the scripture was being poured into my life like mad. 
And I found I couldn't keep up unless I got alone with the Father. And so on a regular, almost daily basis, I found this kind of abandoned parking lot. Everybody else was hanging in the student center. I'd go out in the darkness of that parking lot, and I would just hash out life with God. Nothing, nothing can replace life with the Father. Now, once that's there, then Jesus came off the mountain and he engaged. But don't engage apart from a life alone with your heavenly Father. I want us to take a few quiet moments and remember how God has made himself known to us by taking the elements of the Lord's Supper. If these are new to you, uh, I readily have confessed uh, this is not my favorite thing. The cross was not sterile. (laughs) And these things are sterile. Yeah, if you need one, just put your hand up. Our guys will be glad to get you one. But you take the clear cellophane off the top that exposes the unleavened wafer. Then you take the foil next off the top. And that opens to the juice. All right. It's kind of good to go through all the mechanics. Get yourself ready. These elements represent the Lord Jesus who has made a way so that we could know the Father and be known by the Father. See, don't miss it. These elements are the foundation for community. This bread is a reminder that Jesus, who was without sin, was broken so that we who were broken could be healed. This cup is the reminder that Jesus, who was without sin, paid the penalty for my sin and your sin fully and completely so that our guilt would be removed and relationship restored so that that we could know the Father and be known by him. And I'll let you meditate on this this week on this question. Which is better, knowing him or being known by him? Because they're both pretty sweet. But this is the only way for that relationship, by remembering that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That God so loved the world so that we could be one with him. Before we take together, I want you to just bow your head if you would and and consider with me for yourself personally. Take these quiet moments. Ask yourself, are you cultivating relationship 
with your God. saved, been forgiven, been set free from slavery to sin. I invite you to take with me now in remembrance of our Savior. And let's stand together, declare Jesus in his rightful place in our lives. comforted. I hope as you experience the Lord here, he has comforted you with the truth from his spirit, from the singing of his people. And we have people who are available every hour to pray with you. So to be known sometimes is to tell people, hey, I need prayer for something. So we have men and women who are available after each service, between each auditorium. Just go over there and they would be happy to pray with you. And as Jesus said, you will be comforted in that. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Have a blessed day. So glad that you were here. We'll see you next time.